It's a compassionate self-care framework that is rooted in respecting all bodies, all period, all bodies. You know, all bodies are deserving of dignity and respect. So it, it's about really self-connection. So I would say it begins with the process of, of pausing before you eat, you know, checking in. How do I feel right now? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral as it relates to hunger. And, you know, what would be satisfying for me? And even stopping in the middle of, of eating and just checking in. How's this food taste? Where's my hunger? Where's my, my fullness? And when we finish, wherever that is, how do I feel? Is this pleasant fullness, unpleasant, and so on? If it's um, what might I do differently and where am I with satisfaction and to me satisfaction isn't just when the meal ends or the snack ends is did it sustain you hi friends it's Brittany Moses and you're listening to the faith and mental wellness podcast the podcast at the intersection of faith culture and mental health where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful connected and wholehearted lives We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 52. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current health care, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com. So glad you're joining us for another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. Hey, I have a question for you. Have you heard of intuitive eating? If you've followed along with me for some time, you may have picked up that I've advocated being more of an intuitive eater. While I love sharing the benefits of various food groups on the brain and think that that can be revolutionary, my health goals are also less legalistic and more about feeling good from the inside out. That's mind, body, and soul. And this was really influenced by the framework of intuitive eating. So intuitive eating is a compassionate self-care eating framework that treats all bodies with dignity and respect. Food is nourishment, not the enemy. Our bodies are sacred and are wired to protect us. They're not our enemy. And so I love how the ideals of intuitive eating bring us back into connection with ourselves with a healthier, more sustainable, and more liberating outlook on how we can move through life in our relationship with food and our bodies. And I'm excited to share with you that I was able to have this conversation today with one of the founders of the original intuitive eating framework that is commonly used in nutritional therapy today. And that is Evelyn Triboli. She's an award-winning registered dietitian with a nutrition counseling practice in Newport Beach, California. She co-authored the best-selling book, Intuitive Eating, a mind-body self-care eating framework, which has given rise to over 125 studies to date. And her newest book is Intuitive Eating for Every Day, 365 Inspirations and Practices. 
And in today's conversation, we're talking about the core principles of intuitive eating, such as honoring your hunger and coping with your emotions with kindness, as well as the evidence-based findings of some of the benefits of intuitive eating and how intuitive eating has become a solution for overall health and the prevention of eating disorders. We also discuss some of the dangers and backlashes of diet culture and food deprivation and where to begin the intuitive journey for someone who's wanting to begin changing their lifestyle and mindset around all of this. And as a little bit more background on Evelyn, she is an international speaker who really enjoys training health professionals on how to help their clients cultivate a healthy relationship with food, mind, and body through intuitive eating. And you may or may not have seen that the media really does often seek Evelyn for her expertise on this, including the New York Times, CNN, NBC's Today Show, MSNBC, Fox News, USA Today, you name it. And she was a nutrition expert for Good Morning America and a national spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics for six years. Needless to say, we are so lucky to have her on the show today, and I can't wait to share this conversation with you. So let's dive in. So you guys, I am so stoked for today's episode. I have someone who I truly admire when it comes to the intuitive eating conversation. If you've been following along with me at all, you've noticed that I've been talking about intuitive eating a lot more and more. Um, and Evelyn Tribble really is uh, kind of a leading voice on this conversation. At least she has been in my life. And so today we're talking about building a healthy body image and making peace with food through the practice and lifestyle of intuitive eating. Because something that we always like to advocate is that health isn't just about what you're eating. It's also about what you're thinking and how you're thinking about things. And in this case, how we're thinking about our relationship with food and our bodies. So I have Evelyn Jabol on with me now. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Yes, I'm so glad that I was able to uh, have you on. I know that we connected. I was sharing one of your books with uh, some of my online community and it took to a lot of people and you noticed and I was like, oh, let me slide in her DMs and see if she has any time to expound on this with me some more. <laughs> well, no, I love I love spreading the word, you know, yeah. because this is about in part dismantling diet culture and dismantling unnecessary suffering. You know, when I see how when people are stuck in self body self-loathing or fear, anxiety about what they're eating, it takes them out of their present, you know, whatever it is, whether you're stay-at-home parent or whether you're a student or whatever things you're working on, you're generally not present, even though your body's there because you're preoccupied thinking, worrying, counting, or whatever the latest, greatest new thing is that's out, you know? Yeah. And I've totally been there personally. I think that many of us have, and it, and it doesn't even matter what body size or shape you are. There's always this feeling of, um, of out there of more ways to perfect your body and just not sitting in this enoughness, you know, of where you're at yeah. journey. And that's why I value what you're doing so much. So for those who aren't familiar with you, could you let us know a little bit about what led you into the work of being a being a nutrition counselor and really becoming a leading voice on intuitive? Yeah, you know, it, I'll, I'll go a little bit into the backstory because I think it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, I've been around for a while. And when I was in high school, they didn't have a girls track team. So I ran on the boys team. And I loved beating the boys. And I was very competitive. And I was always looking at what can I eat to perform better? 
And so that that's where my interests lay lie. And long story short, eventually became a, a dietitian, but I got very interested in the psychology mm-hmm. of eating, the relational aspect. So I was in private practice and at least Rush and I co-authored Intuitive Eating. And we were, we were in, I actually rented a, an office from her and we we're one day both sharing our frustration working in the traditional diet culture model. We both have master's science degrees in, in nutrition. Mm-hmm. If this, this isn't working, it doesn't feel good. Our patients are blaming themselves. This there's, there's gotta be another way to do this. And so what we did is we went and took a deep dive into the research in terms of what would be a comprehensive way if we're looking at health, if that's what you're seeking, um, that's going to help you and not harm you. We also, yeah. you know, took into consideration our clinical experience and also the contemporary books out at the time, like Overcoming Overeating by Hirschman and Munter had influence on us. And long story short, it, this turned, we, we proposed a book, uh, the publisher loved it and they, but they did one thing that was so fortunate. They said, you know, really love the concept, but we'd like you to break it down even into more how-to. Can you make it into steps or something like that? So it became principles, the 10 principles of intuitive eating. And what made that so fortuitous, a researcher took a liking to our book and asked a couple of key questions. Can we define who the intuitive eater is? And Mm -hmm. so what? Does it make a difference? The answer was yes, yes, and, and hell yes. It makes a quality difference in someone's life. And did it put intuitive eating in, in the research world It validated it? So now there's over 140 studies on our work showing promise and, and, and benefit. And basically it's all about, it's a compassionate self-care framework that is rooted in respecting all bodies, all period, all bodies, you know, all bodies are deserving of dignity and respect. So it, it's about really self-connection. But when you've been entangled in diet culture and you're outsourcing your eating, to uh, influencers and meal plans, you do that at the expense of disconnection to yourself and at a huge disruption to yourself. And I get people who say, you know, I can count the macros in, in a single pea, but I don't know how to eat. <laughs> yeah. and, people, and there are a lot of tears and tissues going on. And, and that's what I'll ask, you know, but were you taught to actually connect with your body and, and listen to your body? It's like, no, well, then it makes sense then that this would be a foreign idea. It's like you're uh, emotionally a toddler. And that's not a slam. It's just from an experiential standpoint, the toddler yeah. hasn't quite learned how to walk yet. They're always used to, you know, well, anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, I like using that as an analogy because it's compassionate. You know, we don't expect a toddler to walk perfectly. We know they're going to stumble. They're going to fall. And we don't say, you idiot, get up. <laughs> and as they say that out loud, I wince. Um, <laughs> so it's having, having this lens on what am I feeling right now? You know, and for anyone listening along, you can even ask, answer that question. How are you feeling right now? Unpleasant or neutral. And that is the beginning self-connection. And I have found, I haven't had a patient yet not be able to answer that question. And our brain naturally organizes in that way, like, don't like, or, or neutral. And so when you ask that question, I'm not asking what's your mood and please write it. I'm not asking what's your hunger for, please write it. It's just a simple attunement question, universal attunement yeah. question. We start getting curious. And if it turns out you're feeling unpleasant, it's like, oh, I wonder why that is. And then we start getting curious and exploring what, what some solutions might be if, if, if one is even needed at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I love so much about your work. Not only do you provide like a really relatable uh, definition of what intuitive eating is, but you do also apply these practical uh, ways of what it looks like. And it's evidence-based and it's backed by research, which I personally 
really appreciate. Um, and now you have your book, Intuitive Eating for Every Day, with 365 practices that people can walk through every single day. So I am so excited for that. And we're definitely going to be linking that in the show notes for you guys Thank to you. check out. Um, and all of that being said, just now kind of diving into the topic of what is intuitive eating? What is the approach and what are some of the principles of intuitive eating for someone who is not really familiar with what that looks like? Yeah, and, and I find people come into this path, I call it a path because it's a practice and all different, all different states. Some people are like, oh my God, I'm so sick of dieting. I'm so sick of diet culture. I'm here. <laughs> and there's other people like, what? Sounds kind of interesting, but I don't know. I'm kind of scared. And, and, and I say, everyone is welcome. Even if you're just a curious lurker, that's okay. Come, come check it out. Come lurk. <laughs> Yeah. So basically the individual is centered in this model, your experience. I cannot be an expert of you. I don't know your thoughts, your feelings, your experience. The work I do, it's kind of like a tour guide. I kind of point out some, some nice rides you can take to see, does that feel good for your body? Does that feel good for, for your mind? That's, that's a simplistic way of looking at it. The basis of, of, of the madness called interceptive awareness. And that's mm -hmm. a, a nice scientific name describing uh, the perception of physical sensations in your body, hunger, fullness, a full bladder, a racing heart. But one of the things that blows me away is it also includes the physical sensation from emotion. And what this is all doing is the body is trying to be in balance, both biologically and psychologically. And so when you're connected to those physical messages from your body, it's a powerful treasure trove to get your needs met both biologically and psychologically. But when you're at war with your body, you think your body, there's something wrong with it, you're not as likely to listen to those messages or let alone to, uh, respond in a timely manner. So it's it's a journey of coming home and it's a journey of, of deep living. And there are 10 principles. When you write a book, you need to go in order, but you can start anywhere you want that makes sense to you. you know. And so it's interesting from a practice standpoint, I might start with the middle principle, mm -hmm. which is aiming for satisfaction when you eat. And the reason I love that one, it's um, very personal. It's pleasure-based. You know, and it's curious. And I, I'm trying to think, most people I've ever worked with, no one's ever asked them that question, you know? And so I say, well, think about what would a satisfying meal feel like to you? Mm -hmm. What sounds good? It's going to feel good. How do you want to feel when you finish? And ultimately, it's not satisfying to, un ultimately, it's not satisfying to eat past the point of, of comfortable fullness. And so it's learning what those sweet spots are for you. And it's not this big precision. People think you have to do it exactly right. And that, that comes from more of the entanglement in diet culture. You know, this idea, just check off the box, tell me what to do, not to do, pass, fail. No, 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 no. This is a journey of learning and discovery. We're constantly learning, you know? So that's, that's at the heart of this with, with, through the lens also of self-compassion. Now, one of the first principles, the, the first principle of intuitive eating is rejecting diet, the diet mentality, diet culture. And that to me is an ongoing thing in the beginning. It's just identifying it. And it's shocking when you see it's in all our spaces and it's, it's in healthcare, it's in our school systems, it's in family systems, it's in places of, of worship, you know, and I've been lately getting really curious with someone I call it their body lineage. What's the, how are bodies treated in your family? 
you yeah. know, in your extended family, you know, how do you, how do your grandparents, aunts, uncles talk about bodies? Are they gossiped about? Are they revered? What's, and so we start getting a sense of, oh my gosh, this began before me. And then when we get really deep, start looking at the world of the academic Sabrina Strings, who wrote the book, Fearing the Black Body, the Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. She does a fantastic job showing, you know what, mm -hmm. this healthcare. This is going back to, you know, a, a few hundred years ago. And it's it's part of a, a race. It's, it's it, when people are looking at this, they're like, what? It's like, hey, you got to start taking a look at all these systems of oppression that actually collude together, rooted in, in patriarchy and, and racism. And so that's why I, I've had people say, you know, when I read the book, it makes so much sense to me. I want this. I want this freedom. I want this joy. But there's this part of me that I just don't trust, or there's part of me that's scared. And when we can appreciate that this has been going on for much longer than you've been around, it's understandable that we don't break mm -hmm. free from these systems. It's going to take some time, which is why I often like the idea that when we talk about oppressive systems, that's, that's big, big, big stuff. It's daunting. But yeah. if we can say, wait a minute, what about stopping the legacy of diet culture at your family table, at your kitchen table, wherever you happen to eat? There's something very doable about that. Yeah. I've worked with that has kids. They know what that's like. They don't want to so this idea that we treat dignity and respect, the idea that we denigrate people they're eating or not eating and those types of things. Imagine if we just set that loving boundary in our households as kind of a family value, you know, that people don't have yeah. to agree. You're just asking them to respect it. Hey, I appreciate if you don't talk about your dieting uh, in front of my kids, uh, you know, things like that. Something that's as casual as that. Imagine that. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one -on -one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. 
And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Oh, yeah. Thank thank you so much for laying all of that out and even just this idea of enjoying our food, uh, being present with our food, because even sometimes, especially when we're busy and we're going, 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 we almost treat food just as this substance for us to get through the day. Like, let me just eat something just to get through my day or um, whatever it is. And we're completely disconnected from our bodies also because of the busyness of our culture. Um, You know, and even just being able to pause, this is something that I've really practice more and more in my life, everything that you're saying. Mm-hmm. And also thanks to you because you, you know, you've been a leading voice in my life on this oh. is pausing and saying, okay, what does my body need? You know, okay, it's hungry. Let me feed it something. It's full. Let me stop. Um, this, this meal brings me joy and pausing and being present with that meal. Um, it really just colors your life in a different way. And I'm so grateful for that and that there's someone like you bringing awareness to this um, that really is life-changing. Uh, it's profound. And, you know, and those questions can be never-ending, you know, including like, if you're tired, does my body, does my body need to rest? You know, imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> imagine <laughs> some of the, some of the grind. And by, and by the way, some of the days are survival ba- days where eating is, I call ordinary, or it's a, it's a sensible pair of shoes. I will never forget my early days. The first time I went to like New York and, and San Francisco, seeing all these stylish women uh, carrying very nice shoes, but walking around in their sneakers as they got to lunch meetings or meetings or whatever. And those are sensible shoes. <laughs> It's eating is like that. So there's no shame in that too, that we consider our bandwidth. And so sometimes our appetites are off. Sometimes we just need nourishment as self-care. And we also need to recognize your energy. I mean, I, I sometimes I ask my patients, do you have the energy to push a microwave button? <laughs> and they'll laugh. They'll go, how do you know? It's like, because we're surviving a pandemic and this has been ongoing for a year. And then all the fallout in all of our individual lives and all the entanglements thereof, the it, mental exhaustion is, is profound to honor that. We don't have to yeah. be these, these perfect human beings making perfect meals. Sometimes we just, we just do the best we can, you know, yes. <laughs> there's an account called feeding little littles. They, 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 they specialize on, on kids nutrition. It's a, a dietitian and a occupational therapist. And they have this concept of, I just can't even, <laughs> and yeah. that's a oh, day you've yeah. had it. Yeah. And, and so dinner might be cheese and crackers and some fruit. And there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. That's the other thing. So sometimes when we talk about, you know, intuitive eating, it sounds beautiful. It actually is, but it doesn't have to be where you're lighting a candle and meditating. You don't have to be <laughs> before you to eat. This. Yeah. Because sometimes there, there's this perception and that's what it is. And, and it can be that you really pause and you're setting a, a beautiful table and you're really present, but you might not be there that way today or this, this week or this month. And that's okay. It's respecting our humanity with some kindness, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's something that I feel like 
I, I, at least that's the message that I got from it. It's not about eating perfectly, you know, yeah. and for me as someone like we have conversations about like great things to eat for your brain or great things to eat for your mental health. And, you know, but I, I always try to couple that with, you know, while these are great, like, um, again, reject the legalism of eating perfectly because our bodies and brains are more intuitive than you think to, um, to, uh, have the healing that they need for you to keep going and doing their jobs well to keep you going. Well, yeah, and that's one of the interesting uh, repercussions of diet culture, this idea yeah. that that this food you're about to eat is going to kill or cure you. Do you know? It's like, <laughs> right. wait a minute. How do you, how do you, first of all, how do you know what you know? And I mean, kindest of ways I work with, because I see sometimes science be weaponized where someone says, oh, I'm eating this way because of the science. I go, oh, really? What science? Um, is this a, is this an animal study? Is this a human study? Was it interesting study? Was it like an association? And so we need to become more science literate because there's so much information out there. Who are the trusted sources? You know, because sometimes people can sell a really good uh, gimmick using language of science, language of psychology, and it basically is, is some form of diet culture. You know, one of the things driving me nuts right now is um, how a lot of diet, diet programs are saying we're not a diet, <laughs> and they are. <laughs> you know, but now they're saying we're they're co-opting our work, they're co-opting intuitive eating, they're co-opting mindfulness, they're co-opting psychology. But in the end of the day, if they still have you counting foods and restricting and, and so on, it's still a diet by no matter what name you call it. So diet culture is getting sneaky. And so, you know, I work with a lot of people that have shame around this and they, they get engaged in loss of control eating, which is a really common consequence restriction. A lot of people don't know about it because people don't brag about it on social media. They're like, oh my God, I lost it over the cookies. We don't talk about that. And what happens is the more you restrict, the more we see this coming out and there's nothing wrong with you. This is your body working. This is your little cells hanging on for dear life. And when it gets the opportunity to finally eat, it's going to inhale for survival, even though it doesn't feel good, you know, and there's urgency and there's intensity and on it. Often there's quality, but your, your cells are just trying to keep you alive. You know? Yeah. Something that you said earlier that I really wanted to pull out and leading into my next question is this yeah. idea that people don't really trust themselves when it comes to eating. Oh, so yeah. I don't know if it's that the dieting framework or these prescriptional diets feel like, okay, I can't control myself. So I need this system that's going to control me. And maybe there's a fear around intuitive eating. Well, if I just let myself kind of let go of that perfectionism or kind of eat as I feel led or eat ple pleasurably, then I'm going to, I don't know, let go of myself or or end up in this situation, this health, this bad health situation. But in fact, um, there have been some uh, scientific or evidence-based benefits that have been found around intuitive eating. And it's it's almost, um, what's the word? It's, it's almost ironic in a way, I guess. It, it's a paradox. It's, it's a paradox. paradox. And so yeah. I, that's so interesting how in actuality, allowing yourself that freedom causes you to, uh, you know, again, stop when you're full and just listening to your body cues. There's actually kind of one of the healthiest things you can do as uh, your body is trying to survive and adapt. So I was hoping you could share some of those benefits that have actually been found around intuitive yeah. eating for the person who's like, I don't know, I'm scared to kind of just let myself go. And it, it really isn't that like, no, but that's a common fear I hear. So yeah. anyone who's thinking that it's like, please don't 
common. Secondly, on social media, when people are writing about intuitive eating, oh my God, I just looked it up. There's over 300 million hashtags on, on uh, TikTok on intuitive eating, a couple million on Instagram. And what people tend to write about or post about are all the foods they get to eat that they didn't used to eat before. And so at a distance, it might look, oh my God, this is a free for all. What are these dietitians promoting here? Right. And I've had people say, I'm afraid I will never stop. But that is, is a reflection of someone who's been stuck in, in deprivation. And every time you try and fake out hunger, fake out fullness, you are creating a disruption of trust. Every time you diet, you're creating a disruption of trust. So it's understandable. And part of it in a way is like, does your, your body doesn't trust you, you know? And so the research has actually been really fantastic. There's a lot of emerging research coming out, looking at the prevention of, of eating disorders. There was a really promising study done just a, a few months ago, doing an intervention with intuitive eating, they actually use our intuitive eating workbook, either in groups or in individuals who had disordered eating behavior, meaning they had, they, they did not meet the criteria for eating disorders, but they were engaging in things like binge eating, like food and like over exercise. And what they found across the board with intuitive eating was improved in all of it, including satisfaction, including decreased in um, body loathing, increased body appreciation, which I think is really, really promising. And there's a series of research. Oh, there's this profound set. Well, it's more than profound. It's a seminal study that got started called Project Eat. And what's so unique about it is they have been following these kids from age 11 in the beginning to age 21. That's a big study by itself. That's 10 years. And what they found in the beginnings of those studies, kids who were engaged in dieting or weight suppression practices ended up having more problematic eating. And which is not a surprise. And what they're starting to realize is intuitive eating seems to be a solution. And this same group now, these kids are now 31 years old. And now they're finding that it looks like intuitive eating is protective against binge eating uh, disorder. It looks like in, in, that in this particular group, they actually ate more fruits and vegetables. Because I've had people say, oh my gosh, if I let myself eat whatever I want, I'll never eat, and never, I'll never, never eat a vegetable again. <laughs> That's just that kind of some fear that, that takes over. So the research is promising. We need more you know, intervention studies where they actually have a control group and a, and a study group and we, we compare them and see how they're doing. But it's, you know, you were mentioning life change that's the feedback I get unsolicited from people that changed my life. And I think in part, not only are you getting back into balance and you're freeing up that brain space from the anxiety and worry, but this trust factor, as you start trusting yourself with your eating decisions, that trust factor spills out. There's probably a better word than spills out because it, it has a positive impact in other areas where you're trusting your... Thank you. That sounds nicer. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, and it's, it's really profound. I've, I've also had artists contact me saying that their art came back. They'd stopped their creativity when they were stuck in, because, you know, when we're dieting, our bodies want to survive and we start cutting down on things. You know, we have less energy. There's a little more apathy and, and so on. And so sometimes what I find is people have to get miserable enough. They have to hit diet, but you don't have to, but that's often the experience. I find that suffering is the motivation to find another way. It's like, I am sick of living like this. I had a, um, a woman in my practice in her fifties in her tears. And she said, I wish to God, someone would have told me all of these things. I might not have believed them, but at least I would have heard. And I keep thinking about that. 
even people out there listening right now that this might be the first thing about this and you're like, what? And that's okay. <laughs> Maybe you need to hear it 10 times. At least we're now we're, we're beginning on this, you know? So the fact that we created this model 25 years ago and is growing in the validation and it's nice to see it being embraced in popular culture. And I think as people are tired of suffering, they're tired of being told what to do. And if you look at uh, the what happens when you are dieting, you are outsourcing your eating decisions to an influencer or a plan, you are giving away your agency. And in this, you're getting your agency and your autonomy back. And also, if you have trauma in your history, one thing that you that happens is you don't have agency and trauma. And so for some people, dieting can be in a reacting of a trauma. If you've had a history of food insecurity, if you've had a history of, of a new disorder, even though it's an intentional act and you might have the greatest intentions, oh, I'm doing it for my health, wink, wink. Um, but the body is like, oh my God, here we go. She's trying to kill us again, or he's trying to kill us again, or they are trying to kill us again. Uh, and all these, these cascades set into place. It's humbling how powerful our bodies are, you know, and it's beautiful at the same time. Yeah. And how adaptable they are. Cause I definitely had that phase uh, before I learned about intuitive eating, where um, I personally had come down from a really severe season of anxiety and I oh. lost a ton of weight because I didn't have an appetite. I wasn't eating. And then mm. I was like kind of running all the time to uh, focus my energy and my thoughts, but I was losing a tremendous amount of weight. And so when I kind of came out of that and I wanted to work on my, uh, like my body again, you know, and I wanted to regain weight, I, um, I really got into that strict mindset of like, okay, I need to eat a caloric whatever overload or, you know, and eat more and then do, you know, do a uh, resistance training and this and that. And it was on my fitness pal tracking my oh. calories and all these things. And, you know, it's weird because part of it felt good because I, I think more so because of the fact that I was taking action with my yeah. mental health. But then there yeah. was the other side where I was just a bit too consumed with it. And I wasn't always happy with what I was eating. I wasn't totally enjoying my meals. I was like chugging down this disgusting shake. Right. So mm. um, coming out of that, um, it's just and learning to eat more intuitively and going through all these practices you've, you've mentioned a lot happier a lot freer just loving food me and uh jason my partner were always going out and trying new foods and so ah. happy with my body like i actually reached my body weight goals like kind of naturally <laughs> and just made fitness a part of me just like going out getting sunshine clearing my head rather than this legalistic practice of you know constantly seeing myself or my body from a deficit that needs to be fixed and well so and and, that, and that's a really good point because one yeah. i actually want to make this point that with intuitive eating it's about Cultivating a healthy relationship with food, mind, and body, or in some cases, healing that relationship. It's not about changing the body. And then what I'm hearing in your story is your health was compromised. And you were trying to get that back, you know? Yeah. And so when people come in with an expectation of changing their body, um, that could be problematic. I've seen it misinterpreted. And if someone's ever selling you intuitive and, and weight loss run away, because that's not what this is about. Um, when actually, when you start looking at the research on diets and dieting, not only is it ineffective, it's one of the strongest predictors of more weight gain, but it also puts uh, weight stigma, phobia, weight cycling increases the risk of eating disorders and also body defection. And so it's, it's, it's not like it even works. You see all these short-term before and after pictures, but show it to me two years from now, five years right. from now, and so on. And it's the, it's the harm and the suffering, and especially the people that started on this path healthy when 
we, there's a body of research that shows us otherwise. That's what we have to remember. If there's a body of research, and there's more to health than what we put in bodies. It's our mental health. It's our yeah. relationship with other people. I have worked with people who become very isolated with their eating plans. And they go, oh, I can't, I can't go out. I'm doing where it happens to be. And it's, it's a problem, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. And everything that you said is what I found. It's unsustainable, right? You know, you're on yeah. this plan where you're hitting the gym twice, you know, twice a day or every other day and you're eating this and that. But it, really, you're like, okay, how long can I keep up with this and live my life and do all the things that I feel called to do, it, it becomes a bit much. And so this is just a much more sustainable lifestyle in the long kinder. run. Yeah. It's kinder and it's freer. And you kind of already mentioned this, but I, I wanted to pull this out a little bit more. And that is the dangers and backlashes of dieting and food deprivation because people might feel like it's something positive they're doing. But you mentioned, and this was something I learned in health psychology that I thought was mm. so interesting, is how actually you, uh, by going on this extreme deprivation or dieting or these whatever diet plans, uh, people end up gaining the weight back and more. And if you can just share like what is actually happening in the body with dieting that makes it more harmful than beneficial in the long run. Yeah. And that's what people often get surprised about. Again, the body of research, I'm not just talking about one or two provocative studies. Right. And I'd say one of the biggest came in the 1940s with Minnesota starvation study, where they were looking at food shortages and, and the malnutrition that was likely to happen. And they took these men who were bodily healthy, psychologically healthy, and put them on a, on a restrictive eating regimen and exercise. And they created disorders. These men became obsessed about food. They started collecting recipes and cookbooks. And all they did was talk about their eating. In fact, one, I'll never forget it. I don't, I don't have it right here, but um, I actually have the, the, the study. It's been 2000 pages. Oh, man. And one of the men complained and he said, you know, I'm so sick of the nutrition masturbation. <laughs> and I remember looking and reading this like five times, this scientific, uh, you know, publication, because it was this incessant nonstop talking about food. And again, that puts a wedge in, into relationships also. And it very much sounds like our current day diet culture. So here you take men who had a healthy sense of themselves and you restrict them of their eating and you create these, these eating disorders. And so there was, there was two things, um, that this really shows that, yes, the biological impact was not a surprise, but the psychological impact was really well documented. And so you start thinking about food because that's the mind's way of, hey, getting your attention. And you're not thinking about the next broccoli stock you're going to be eating. You're thinking about pasta and bagels and bread and all kinds of stuff because that's what the brain needs to eat. So what happens is the bonus has a biological uh, violation that we have had famine ever since people have been put on this earth. And so we know how to survive. And there's this idea. It's a misinformed idea that we have all this, this willpower and control. And there's all of these mechanisms over a hundred that are beyond our conscious control that actually impact our, our weight and impact our, our eating and, and so forth. And, and again, this is in service of our survival. It's what we see over and over and over again. There was a scientific paper that came out last year and it unfortunately had a lot of weight stigmatizing statements, but one of the things I said, I really agreed is they said, we have an undisputable 
amount of scientific evidence that shows that the great majority of things that control all around our body and weight and size are beyond our control. Genetics is huge, all these other types of things. And I think that's what people have a hard time really believing, or they think, well, that might be true, but I'm going to be in that 2% or 5% of the people. And the fact that it predicts actually more weight gain than what you lost up to two thirds of people, there's actually been a lot of research around that as well. And so I think to recognize is this, is that weight is not a behavior. There's nothing wrong with pursuing health, but health is not required for as a moral obligation that being you'd have dignity and respect anyway. But if health is something you do want to pursue, let's look at things that aren't going to hurt you and that are sustainable. Like how about getting enough sleep? How about enough downtime, quality relationships and those, those types of things. So that's what we need to start looking at. I mean, the research is, is, is profound on this. Yeah. Again, guys, when you deprive yourself or go on extreme diets, your body thinks you're starving and it's thinking famine and then it creates more hunger cues and then you're eating more than usual and putting on more. So yeah, paying attention. Well, and then and then biologically, you know, your metabolic rate slows down. This has been shown actually quite profoundly in many many studies. So again, you you don't have any control of your biological meta- metabolic rate. Your body is doing this to try to protect you, and so we need to do something that's good for our mental health, not something that's going to end up making us feel bad. But it's interesting when you start looking at the research that because I've had people say, oh, but what about health? When you look at the studies that correlate health and weight, correlations, not causation, mm-hmm. they're often missing very important confounders, such as trauma when you were a kid, known as ACEs, adverse childhood yes. experiences. That alone correlates with the top five causes of diseases, and they're not usually controlled for. Quality of your relationships. There's a researcher, oh my God, I think her last Lundstad, who's done a a profound job of showing how social isolation and the quality of our relationships are actually have more of an impact than that's not usually accounted for. So all these things that we think that are fact actually are not. And so what happens is, you know, there's this, um, I'm going to, I'm going to digress for just a bit because I think it's so important with all this information that keeps coming out, all uh, conflicting information at that. I, I, I call it fishbowl physics after Stephen Hawking said you could have this like brilliant goldfish sitting in a goldfish bowl, constructing all the laws of the universe that hold true in that goldfish bowl in that water. But the moment they were to jump out, there's no glass, there's no refraction, those laws no longer hold true. And so what happens many times people are taking these studies as absolute facts, and a lot of scientists aren't talking to each other. And you might have a PhD, but if you don't have a specialty in this particular area, you're not going to know what confounders are missing, you know, and so it's complex. There's this uh, interesting scientist out of Stanford University who describes all the problems with nutrition research that if you think about there's over a quarter million foods that exist, and then you add another 300,000 edible plants, there's no one study that controls for all of these things. So for any one study to say this is a superfood or this is a super killer, it's, 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 it's not true. And then when you factor in all the things I just mentioned, social determinants of health and so on, it, it's, it's a rather bit, bit of a mess. Or actually, I, I, that's not fair. It's not the mess. It's not the absolute that people make it to be, you know? So yeah. that's, that's the thing. And when we start looking at countries like in the Blue Zones uh, studies, where countries where, where they have lot longer longevity uh, and quality living, there's a lot of other things that are going on besides their, their, those grandparents didn't count macros, you know, and they have all these things built in there. 
community. So it, it's, it's complex. And, and we were talking earlier how mental health is a very important part of health. That's what we need to be looking at. I want you to be flourishing, not stuck in counting and worrying about the, the you know, the, your body or the, or the morsels of food that you're eating, you know? Yes. We were not born to count calories and die. Um, uh, and I love that you highlighted those other qualities that have been linked to, um, longevity in life, which is again, like you said, social relationships, quality of relationships, quality of life. Um, all of those things are just as important. And all of that being said, where does the intuitive eating journey begin for someone who's been kind of wanting to begin changing their lifestyle and mindset around all of this? They've heard all of this and now they're like, okay, I have all this information and all of these principles and they're great. Um, You, like if you were to begin, I don't know, a session with someone or what have you, what would you say might be some of their uh, where they would begin or start or could begin to uh, renew their mind and lifestyle around this more sustainable way of, of life and eating. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it's, it's just, it's getting real with where, where you're at, you know, and, and recognizing the suffering, the harm and non-sustainability and how it's impacting the quality of your life. And then to the, to your point, to what to do, I often do like starting with aiming satisfaction because that takes deep listening. You know, uh, you can even be, you know, how to, what sounds good for this meal and how I want to feel. Those are very personal questions, you know? And so we can talk about on, we can talk about, you know, aiming for comfortable fullness and these kinds of things. We can talk about uh, coping with your feelings with kindness, having diversities of of ways to cope. And at the same time, not shaming if someone decides to turn to a food as as the coping mechanism, because they're doing the best they can at the time with what they have. But it's part of it is recognizing you're the boss of you, only you these food like. So I would say it begins with the process of, of pausing before you eat, you know, checking in. How do I feel right now? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral as it relates to hunger. And, you know, what would be satisfying for me? And even stopping in the middle of, of eating and just checking in, how's this food taste? Where's my hunger? Where's my, my fullness? And when we finish wherever that is, how do I feel? Is this pleasant fullness, unpleasant and so on? If it's, um, what might I do differently? And where am I with satisfaction? And to me, satisfaction isn't just when the meal ends or the snack ends, is did it sustain you? So I'll never forget, I had somebody who thought he was a chronic, uh, his, his words, overeater. And he said, what he realized in, in our work together is he was chronically hungry. He was only eating until the absence of hunger, which is not fullness, which meant he was chronically hungry. So he'd be hungry two hours later. And as he started, you know, realized he didn't like living this way. And as he started eating more food, it sustained him for long periods of time. So he wasn't thinking about it all the time. And it was really a beautiful healing. So you can start really simple. You can start with, you know, oh, I'm going to say something that's going to be easy and hard at the same time. It might be, huh, could you have one meal in a day in which you eat without distraction? Distraction. Feeling you're going to say that. Dang it. (laughs) Yeah. And and by the way, it's not a requirement. But what I say, yeah. When someone's brand new to this process, if this is distracting, think about it. When you're driving and if you're getting lost, you're going to turn down that radio or turn it off altogether or or the whatever podcast you're listening to temporarily because you want to concentrate. And so that's what this is about. And if that sounds too daunting, then my question is well, can you eat without just maybe three bites, the beginning, the middle? 
and the invite. I can usually get buy-in with that. And if it turns out this is threatening, uh, you can go at whatever pace you want to. But what I find is it's going to take a little bit longer when there's all these other, you see, your mind can only place awareness on one thing at a time. And if you want to place it on your eating and on, on your body, uh, then then that's, that's where a focus would be really helpful. So I would invite your listeners uh, and viewers to, to give that a try. And people say to me in all seriousness, but what would I do? <laughs> what would I do if I turn off the TV or turn off my phone and, and my other, my devices? And my, my, my response is let's, let's pay attention to eating. What parts of eating do you like? And that might sound like a, a silly question. I have patients I'm like, the taste <laughs> and they're asking me and I will say well maybe it's, it's the visual presentation on the plate maybe it's the aftertaste when you finish swallowing there's still a remnant taste left in, in in your mouth or maybe it's the bite where is that for you let's put what if we put the focus on that so it's finding those types of things and then saying how it makes you feel how does it feel to eat without having to count things and, and whatnot you know Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love the pausing. I do that now where, you know, I pause, I take in the meal, you know, or I'll pause mid meal and just, this is really good. And just take in all the flavors. Yeah. I say it out loud and I've now said it five times and it's awkward, <laughs> but oh, well, I'm taking it in. I'm present with the person in front of me, um, you know, and it's so enriching. And again, like you said, even pausing going, okay, I'm, I'm now I'm full. And for me, I'm one of those people that I get hungry every two hours. Um, I get full really quickly, but then I get hungry again really quickly. Sure. That's your body, body working. That's my body cues. And it might be different than someone else's who maybe Correct. can take yeah. in more, but then they can go long a little bit longer before eating again. And I guess I, I saw this a lot growing up where it was like my body cues were different than other people's body cues, but then either your family or who you're around is kind of forcing you to eat in oh. the extent and level of what they believe it should be or what they believe is healthy based off of their body cues. Um, mm. so I remember that it's like, you're going to finish all your food. It's like, but I'm hung, I'm full at like half of it, but I'm going to be hungry again in two hours and I can finish it, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and this whole like stay at the table until you finish it all or whatever it is, you know? So, um, I think regardless of the pressures around us or whatever social or cultural pressures to just be willing to tune into our own bodies and pause and listen to those things. Yeah. Because our body knows. Our body does know. And we just need to get time to, to know it. If we could treat our bodies and the messages of our bodies, like we do our phones and text messages, you know, I have so many friends are like, boom, as soon as there's a ping, boom, they're like that. Imagine if we had that same attention on our body when we hear that ping of hunger. It's like, oh, I think I, I'm, I'm going to get ready to get to eat pretty soon or something like that. You know, there's not to be a one. Yeah. Yeah. But, but just any of it, you know, the, the more yeah. you get curious, the more you end up knowing. Oh, and again, this is, it's a, it's not pass or fail. If you felt like, oh my gosh, you ate past comfortable fullness. Well, rather than panic and try and micromanage or compensate, let's see what your body would do. Every time you compensate or micromanage, you rob yourself of the experience what your body would have naturally done. After afternoon snack you're normally hungry for there's no hunger there maybe when you go into your your dinner meal you're you're less hungry than what your typical diet has been so all these kinds of things is how cultivate trust. Every time you honor your hunger with each bite of food, you're rebuilding trust. So for those out there that are like, I don't trust my body, it can be rebuilt. We can be rebuilt. Every time you connect, you're a step at repair process, you know. 
I think that is a lovely place to leave off of here. And for those who want to connect more with you and the work that you're doing, as well as grabbing your book, Intuitive Eating for Every Day, which I highly recommend you guys do because she's dropping a lot of gems here, but like there's like so much more (laughs) um, that's laid out in these books. Where can they connect with you and grab the book? Well, uh, so media wise, Instagram's the one I'm, I'm most active on. So my, my website, intuitiveeating.org, that's your website, Elise and I, and then my website, uh, evelyntribley.com. So you can buy those at anywhere books, you buy your, your books. So yeah. Great. And those will all be linked in the show notes. So thank you guys for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Uh, until next time. <laughs>